Today on the emdocs.net podcast, we bring you three great posts involving some different aspects of emergency medicine. First, cytokine storm in the setting of COVID. Second, methylxanthine toxicity. And finally, fracture terminology on x-rays. Manny, want to start us off on cytokine storm? Cytokines are the signals from our cells to our bodies, notifying us that we are under attack. These include interleukin-1, interleukin-6, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. If the cells release an appropriate amount of cytokines, an appropriate immune response can begin against the invading pathogen, giving the best chance of recovery. If there is an inappropriate or excessive cytokine release, the systemic effects could be fatal. It can cause multi-system organ damage and even failure. This concept is called cytokine storm. Cytokine storm has been shown to occur in patients suffering from pancreatitis, bacterial sepsis, multiple sclerosis, and more importantly, for the sake of discussion in current world events, viral respiratory infections. Cytokines are linked to lung and cardiac injury, as well as hypercoagulability. A subset of patients develop hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, abbreviated as HLH. This is usually a pediatric rheumatological illness, and while rare, it can occur in cancer and bacterial, fungal, or viral infections. The symptoms of AHLH are nonspecific and include cough, dyspnea, nausea, vomiting, fever, and jaundice. Labs include elevated inflammatory markers, including ESR and CRP, and significantly elevated ferritin. Early detection is key. This condition should be considered in patients with COVID and critical illness, as well as those with multi-organ dysfunction. There is a score you can use on shift available from MDCalc called the H-score. It includes temperature, organomegaly, cytopenias, triglycerides, ferritin, AST, fibrinogen, and immunosuppression. Management includes treating the underlying condition and preventing further injury. In patients with COVID and cytokine storm, hypercoagulability is a major risk, and patients should be considered for therapeutic anticoagulation, especially if the D-dimer is significantly elevated. Pay close attention to cardiac function, and to reduce the risk of further injury, immunomodulatory therapies should be considered, which include IL-6 and IL-1 inhibitors, as well as steroids. Our next post deals with methylxanthine toxicity. Caffeine is probably the most common drug in this class, though theophylline was previously used for asthma. The therapeutic window of caffeine is pretty wide relative to theophylline, with most reported cases being for intentional self-harm. The mechanism of action is both as an adenosine antagonist and cyclic AMP phosphodiesterase inhibitor. Adenosine antagonism causes endogenous release of catecholamines. It also acts as an anticonvulsant. Basically, it affects every organ system, including GI, CNS, musculoskeletal, and metabolic. Cardiac effects vary. Atrial and ventricular arrhythmias are the most common cause of death, and SVT may be refractory to adenosine and cardioversion, though it's often responsive to beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, and benzodiazepines. Hypotension can also be seen due to volume depletion for emesis and primary beta receptor-induced vasodilatation. Fluid resuscitation should be followed by vasopressors such as phenylephrine and norepinephrine, though beta agonists should be avoided due to a theoretical worsening of beta-mediated dysrhythmias and vasodilatory shock. Vasodilatory shock can be treated with short-acting beta blockers such as esmolol. Multiple doses of activated charcoal may assist in theophylline overdose, and it can be considered for caffeine, which is metabolized to theophylline. 
Hemodialysis should be considered based on a clinical presentation of the patient, as the drug levels are infrequently available in a timely manner. Consider HD in all cases of refractory shock, dysrhythmias, or refractory seizures. Our final post looks at terminology for describing fractures on x-ray. This post breaks this down into seven components. First, whether the fracture is open or closed. Then, the specific location of the fracture along the bone, fracture morphology, any displacement, shortening, and finally, angulation and rotation. Really, to get the best understanding, you should go look at the post for more detail, as it talks about open versus closed fractures, the Salter-Harris classification, and morphology in detail. Thanks, Britt. Now that rounds out our summary of the key EM docs posts. Thanks for joining us, and stay tuned for the next episode. Feel free to comment on our site and let us know if you have any feedback. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Mm-hmm.